You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Brand new week, brand new weather. Glorious day here in TW11 for this Monday 7th of August. A stark contrast to the soggy end to Goodwood on Saturday. About as far from glorious as you could get. The final race ended up being the Stewards' Cup with the final three races abandoned. Reflections on that from Director of Racing Ed Arkell. And on a challenging week overall, later in the programme, we'll also be catching up with the owner of the winner of the Stewards' Cup. He wasn't able to be there on Saturday, Evan Sutherland. He is now owned winners and different horses as well of the Holy Trinity of Sprint Handicaps, Air Gold Cup, Wokingham and Stewards' Cup. Quite some feat. There's been plenty happened since Goodwood, both at Saratoga and at Deauville. Brendan Walsh will join me later in the programme to talk about success in the most heartbreaking of circumstances at the Spa. Uh, whilst at Deauville, it was all rather more unalloyed joy for trainer Nicola Collery, who tells a, a good story a little later in the programme. We'll also look ahead to the Tattersall's Book One Yearling Sale catalogue, for which is out today. As I welcome in David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror. And David, we'll start today with the news that the uh, the heat in the debate surrounding whether or not there should be saunas on British racecourses has intensified significantly. News started to bubble up last week that jockeys had submitted a, a survey to the British Horse Racing Authority expressing broadly their dissatisfaction. This was followed up by uh, Matt Chapman and his son column on Saturday morning where he did a, a lengthy interview with jockey Adam Kirby, who's been compromised by lack of saunas and it's effectively cost him his association with, with trainer Clive Cox. And then uh, a very timely development in this story occurred on, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, David, before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of this, what's been going on? As you say, Nick, this is an issue that's been bubbling under for a few weeks now. And it came to a head on Saturday, the Lily Langtree Stakes, uh, one of the four races run at Goodwood, a group two, of course. Um, it turned out that Tom Marquand rode the 25 to 1 winner, Sumo Sam, because Neil Callan couldn't do 8-11. That surprised a few of us, and Neil Callan had ridden at that weight at Goodwood earlier in the week. There's been uh, a sounding by the PJA of its members. Uh, you referenced Matt Chapman's piece, which uh, said that there was a 60% response to that. And the long and short of it is that after the, the toings and throwings post-COVID, uh, the saunas going and then going indefinitely and then going permanently, uh, the revisions to uh, the allowances that uh, jockeys had, it, they're not happy with that and they want the saunas back. I've been speaking to Neil Callan and I asked him whether this was the, the first instance he can remember that, that this had happened to him, having to having to take off a ride because he, he couldn't make weight. Yeah, good morning, Nick. Um, yeah, like, I mean, in the UK it has, yeah. Um, obviously, there's a, when I was riding in Hong Kong um, a couple of times a year, my, weather, my, my body just changes uh, with regards to my weight and the fluid intake and how, how much it holds on to and how much it lets go. And a couple of times it would just catch me out. And I'm normally pretty, I'm, I'm pretty professional as in like 
I eat well, I eat very healthy. I don't drink beer anymore. I haven't drank beer for like two and a half years. Um, so, and my fitness, like I have my own gym and I sweat quite a lot in the bath. So I don't necessarily need to use saunas at all and, and haven't, haven't needed to. But, you know, like I say, the odd time I just get cut out. And obviously, um, at Goodwood on Saturday, I was. And um, I did the right thing um, and, and contacted Connections before I weighed out and said, look, I, I just cannot take any more weight off. I've been jogging in the shower for 20 minutes with baby oil on, trying to, like, get the fluid out, man. I just, it, just wouldn't, it just wouldn't release. So there's nothing I could have done. But um, I gave them the option and... Um, Obviously, they they wanted someone that could do the job and or could do the weight. Sorry, um, and you know Tom stepped in. So yeah, it's it's frustrating. It's annoying. Neil, what about the the received wisdom that going into a sauna so soon before going out to try and perform athletic endeavor at the highest level is is fundamentally a bad thing, or that it is it is detrimental to your to your overall health and well being? It's not detrimental to your health. Look at anywhere in the world, in well, Scandinavia especially. The, the people use this as part of their daily routine. We've trained our bodies as professional jockeys to be able to rehydrate as soon as a race is over when we have to take weight off. And most of it is just fluid because, like, I keep super fit in the gym. And um, so the only, the only uh, thing we're taking off weight-wise is just fluid. And the fluid normally sits probably in pockets under your arms or on your hips. And normally, and normally for me, I can just go, like, so my routine on Saturday was I did an hour in the gym with a sweatsuit. I jumped in the bath for a half an hour before I went racing. Um, and then I went racing. And normally, like I did on Wednesday, I rode for Richard Hughes for the King and the Queen, and I had 8.11 on value added. I did 8.11 on Wednesday, no problem. The same routine, gym in the morning, sweat in the bath, got to the races, 8-11, no problem. Saturday, gym, sweat in the bath, got to the races, and I thought, hmm, could be in trouble here. And then that's when I I said to my valet, Modi, uh, got to go and jog in the shower, try and get the last bit off, and it just would not come off. And if I was able to do that in a sauna, it would have come off straight away. And this is obviously one of those things that, but for COVID probably wouldn't be happening now. It might have happened further down the track. It's interesting that, that during that COVID period, there was some there was some satisfaction with the idea of taking saunas away. But as time has gone on, that satisfaction appears to have almost evaporated to nothing. During COVID in England, they gave a £6 allowance uh, because they were uh, taking the saunas away. Not taking them out, taking them away because... Now, this was for a health benefit, and you can understand that because COVID was quite rife and it, um, nobody could quite understand what it was that to stop the spread, to stop jockeys going into the sauna. Now, you could completely understand that. Now, that's for a health, health, safety, health and safety. And then when they came back, they were like, um, I don't know what happened with regards to who agreed, who was asked, do you want to keep saunas, do you not? But since I've come back from Hong Kong and anybody that I've spoke to in the wear room has never said, we want to get rid of saunas. Absolutely 100% no. 
I've never heard it once. So I don't know who's saying it or where it's coming from, but no. Uh, and where where are we at with the the allowances and the the leeway you're getting now in order to try and make your your lives easier post COVID? It, it I've got to confess to the outsider, it, it appeared to be quite confusing. The six pound allowance was supposed to be coming back for the interim period, and that was probably discussed six months ago, and that hasn't happened as yet. And uh, the four pound allowance and the two pound handicap, you can understand saying, oh, yeah, but you're getting six pound. But it's not about that. It's a mental thing. When I get up in the morning and I sweat in the bath and I come out and I go, right, what weight am I? What weight have I got? And then I go, okay, I got four pound allowance to play with. I need to be this. I need to do that. And I don't think about anything about the handicaps being put up two pound overall. It's not in your mind. You just got to look at what you see in the paper. You see what weight you have, you see what your allowances is, and you know what weight you have to be to do that weight, and that's your target. And that's a daily occurrence for jockeys. Jockey Neil Callan there, who was forced to step down from the ride on Sumo Sam in the Lily Langtree Group 2 on Saturday because he wasn't making the weight in spite of his efforts, and he attributes that to there not being a sauna on the race course. Uh, Tom Marquand was on ITV Racing yesterday and spoke at length and quite eloquently in much the same vein. Uh, Adam Kirby, who is always someone who has needed saunas um, perhaps more acutely than others, uh, he gave uh, his verdict on the BHA and, and their chief medical officer, Jerry Hill, in, in the sun on Saturday. Uh, Dave, what's your view on this? Um, is the sauna a vital and, if responsibly used, perfectly legitimate tool for, for jockeys or is it something that belongs in a bygone age and, and fundamentally not conducive to the well-being of elite sportsmen those seem to be the the two positions here yeah they are and, and you know it, you you hark back as you say uh in, in the minds of many people it is the the very emblem of of a rather barbaric bygone age when uh jockeys it, it, they would do anything in order to make weight, whether that uh, damaged their medium to long-term health uh, or not. Uh, my own personal view is that uh, I think you have to credit uh, professional sportsmen and women with the ability to manage their own weight and run their own lives. Uh, uh, in that sense, I feel that saunas shouldn't have gone away. From a legal perspective, I'm not comfortable with the argument that if you don't permit someone to do something, they will do it anyway, um, which is a, a, a strain of an argument used by the, the pro-sauna brigade. You know, uh, there are any number of human activities that go underground because there are statutes against them. And the fact that uh, that you say, well, if you outlaw that, I'm going to go and do I'm going to go and do it anyway. That is not an argument against that statute existing. Um, equally, from a legal perspective, I'm not comfortable with the idea that if one person uh, uses a facility or does something irresponsible, then that means that there should be a law outlawing uh, that activity. And so my, my own personal view is that I would like to see saunas back. I think that over the last... 20 to 30 years probably the last 20 years with from my involvement in speaking to jockeys and observing jockeys behavior i think it's 
irrefutable that jockeys have become much more uh, professional, much more adult, much more responsible about the way that they live their lives in order to maintain their careers. In a sense, they haven't had any choice but to do that because um, the, the because humans get heavier and they've had to look at diet and and live their lives in a responsible way. There is an argument from, uh, or an explanation, if you like, from the BHA that one of the reasons uh, saunas have had to go is because of the remodeling of jockeys' facilities to accommodate male and female jockeys, and that those facilities are adequate. I think that if we've got to that position in British racing and we can't afford to put saunas on British race courses, well, that's a that's a sad indictment in uh, on where we are financially, but. Yeah, I, I I feel that that uh, jockeys should be able to take a, a pound or two off in in order to uh, make weight these days. I, I, I my own personal view is that I would like to see them return. Well, there's no doubt it was a big challenge for everybody at Goodwood who are marshalled by their director of racing, uh, Ed Arkle. Um, Ed, how are you feeling now, reflecting on what was a a, a soggy end to what uh, was a week that still had its pretty notable high points. Yeah, it did, didn't it? I think um, I think everybody's feeling a bit battered and bruised, but um, you know, I think we did did well to get as far as we did. Um, the team have done an amazing job, particularly the grounds team um, on the day, and then obviously, you know, the rest of the racecourse team have had had a pretty tough week as well. But um, you know, as you said, we saw some great racing, which is the main thing. When did it become obvious to you on Saturday that that things weren't looking great in terms of finishing the card? I mean, I think you know you started to worry probably you know after the uh, summer handicap, um, the Lily Langfrey really didn't look good, and the jockeys were quite concerned after that. Um, we had a chat; they were happy to to race on the straight for the Stewards Cup, um, but they were they were worried about the bend on the round course, so we had a look after that, but. You know, it, it was what it was, wasn't it? You know, we'd had such a such a wet week in the lead up or during the racing, and you know, we had a lot of runners over it. So I think there was sort of a certain amount of inevitability about it when we started to get that really heavy rain during the middle of the afternoon. Were you bowled a bit of a googly by the forecast on Saturday morning? I, yes, we were. Um, I think. You know, the forecasters have had real trouble dealing with the weather, weather we've had for the last probably three weeks um you know they say it's raining when we've got bright sunshine vice versa um so i can't say i was totally surprised by it but yes you know it wasn't what we were expecting and in terms of getting those going descriptions right through the I'd, you must have set a record for changes of going description i'd have thought because we know that the downland turf at goodwood dries and soaks as quickly as it as the rain comes and you've had to go from good to good to soft to soft to heavy to soft to good to soft to soft to, and and so and so it went on how difficult is it trying to keep 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 ahead of that and try and keep you know punters and owners and race goers as, as well informed as you can yeah, I'm not sure it's a record I'd be particularly proud of having. Um, but, you know, yeah, it is. You, you, we've just got to keep an eye on it the whole time. It does dry very quickly. Um, and I think the problem is it, it's it's very difficult once it starts opening up because it may or usually does ride a bit easier than it tends to walk. Um, I've got somebody that helps me with times and, uh, and going descriptions. Um, so that's great that we can actually, you know, really have a good look at the times as well. Um, and that helps no end. But I, I think we were sort of pretty much there or thereabouts most of the time. But certainly, you know, I think it probably calls out slightly on Saturday is how quickly it deteriorated. 
and you're someone who who you puts quite a lot behind the, the the science of this, aren't you? You 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 tend to prefer the data rather than going just by by anecdote of somebody saying, "Oh yeah, it feels kind of soft." Yeah, I think it's really important, and um, everybody sort of um, you know, oh, it feels this, it walks that, is one thing, and, and we have to respect that. But equally, the times you know are really important. I think the going stick um, helps us hugely, and if the data is there and it's reliable and trustworthy, which it is, then you know you have to use it. You'd be you'd be a fool not to. Goodwood's director of racing, Ed Arkell, uh, David Yates. How good a job do you think the track did last week? I thought they did a, an exceptional job in extremely difficult circumstances. Um, Ed Arkell took over from Seamus Buckley in 2017. And in that short time, he can't have had a, a more challenging meeting than this. And I'd be very surprised if he has a more challenging meeting during the rest of his tenure. Um, in Incessant and very heavy rain on Wednesday that... Uh, took the ground to, what was it, heavy, soft in places, I think it was. Um, then it dried out. And and on Saturday, the interesting thing was, Nick, I think that on Wednesday we had a, um, a yellow weather warning for, uh, for Goodwood and the South Coast in terms of wind, not in terms of rain, um, which was uh, forecast to be up to 60 miles per hour. Now, that didn't come to pass. And I, I think that although... Um, Wednesday was a, a a pretty miserable day, I think, for most of us who were there weather-wise. Um, it it wasn't as bad as the, the the top end of the forecast. On Saturday, it certainly was. Uh, the the forecast was for yeah for heavy rain, but it, it wasn't for quite as bad um, rainfall as we got. We started on on soft, good to soft places that very quickly after the first race went heavy soft in places and then it was heavy after the second race um I, I thought that the i thought they got everything right i thought the decision to run the stewards cup was the right one um the last three races were uh round bends two seven furlongs and and one uh mile and a furlong and i think that uh whilst they inevitably uh, did have to bow to the elements. I thought they did it at the right time, and yeah, I, it, it's it's easy it's easy to knock Clark's the course. Um, they have to speak to you. I, you know, I've done this job for enough decades now, and and they're often in the crosshairs because you know they're, they're essentially an easy target. But I think that under very difficult circumstances, I thought the Goodwood did an extremely good job. I'd be very surprised if in their time, and certainly in mine, if they have a, a more difficult week to cope with than that. Well, it was a pretty grim day on Saturday, but not if you were owner Evan Sutherland watching Aberama Gold win the win the Stewards Cup, a race that you, the horse might have had a pretty good chance in whatever the conditions, but he does go well in, in heavy ground. And he won on just his third start for David O'Mara, having been trained very successfully by the now-retired Keith Dalgleish. And the winning owner, who's tasted success in marquee handicaps before, most notably in his beloved Air Gold Cup, joins me now. Um, how did the, How did this one compare, Evan? This one compares very favourably, Nick. I mean, winning any race is a great, great experience. I'm happy to win a modest uh, race at Wolverhampton or Catrick or Thursk or anywhere else. But clearly to win a big race such as the Air Gold Cup and the Stewards Cup at um, Goodwood is uh, pretty exciting. Um, we went there on Saturday thinking we had half a chance. Uh, we knew he'd like the ground. Uh, we also 
also knew he was in good form because he won at York the previous Saturday. We were a little bit anxious about his weight because he incurred a six pound penalty for winning at York. But we, we went there as hopeful as one can be with 28 runners in a hot Goodwood sprint. And Evan, to what extent is his success a tribute to the skills of his um, now retired trainer, Keith Dalglish? Oh, a great deal of it. Um, This horse was a very good two-year-old and three-year-old. Then he lost his way a bit, which is not unusual for for good horses. Uh, But Keith uh, nurtured him and trained him exceptionally well. He was very patient with him. And a great deal of the credit for where the horse is now must go, not just to Keith, but his whole team, Declan, Leanne, everyone else in Keith's, Keith's team. They were extremely patient and professional in getting the horse back to where he is now and for you Evan it's been a, an amazing journey just just tell me how it started <laughs> well um, even as a young man as a penniless student I used to love going to the bookies and having a bet um, and then uh, one day uh, when I was about to retire about 15 years ago my son said to me, look, Dad, you have to get a hobby, otherwise you'll be like a beer with a sore head. Um, so I decided to buy a share in a horse with um, Andrew Balding, and I kind of started from there. I got to know Andrew and his family, uh, who are very, very professional and a lovely, lovely family, and my enthusiasm grew from there. Um, then I decided to buy my own horses. Uh, I bought a cheap horse called Highland Colori who went on to win an Air Gold Cup. I was then very, very lucky to buy another cheap horse out of Luca Comani's yard called Outdo. He went on to win the Great St. Wilfred and uh, a Wokingham under David O'Mara. So I've been very, very lucky, but I've had the assistance of some outstanding trainers I really think in this country, although we have our problems with prize money, etc., we're very blessed. We have some magnificent trainers in our industry. I'm not sure we always appreciate them, but we do. And I've been lucky enough to have some Premier League Mm. trainers uh, supporting uh, me and training my horses for me. Owner Evan Sutherland, who's now completed the the hat-trick, the amazing hat-trick of Wokingham Stewards Cup and Air Gold Cup with with three different horses, which is really, really quite something. Um, David Yates, other highlights on that truncated Saturday at Goodwood before we move on? Yeah, well, we've talked about Sumo, Sam. The the, the main other news line, really, Nick, was the uh, the Coral Summer Handicap. That was the, the mile and six race that was the, the second on the card. And it was won by Sweet William. Now, uh, You'll remember a couple of weeks ago, this horse won in good style at Newbury. Afterwards, Philippa Cooper, Sweet William's owner, said, um, I'm not an Ebor girl, which sounded a bit strange because obviously we know how owner breeders are, are pushing a rock up a hill these days and half a million quid for such a richly endowed handicap might be music to their ears. Um, anyway, two weeks later, Sweet William wins in, again, pretty emphatic style, 
at Goodwood. And afterwards, Philippa Cooper said, OK, if John and Thady Gosden want to go uh, to the Ebor later this month at York, then I'm not going to argue with them. As everyone knows, Rab Havlin rides her horses. She said, well, Rab wants to earn some money too. And so over the last couple of weeks, there has been that change of mind. Sweet William is, I think, about a five to one favourite for the signature handicap of the Ebor Festival. And I think if you want to back that horse, you can do so safe in the knowledge now that connections intend to go there. All right. The big group one feature in Deauville yesterday was the 2023 running of the pre-Morris de Geest. British Raiders were second and third. Spy Catcher and the Wokian winner, St. Lawrence. But the winner was King Gold, uh, who was a first top-level success trainer, Nicolas Collery, who joins me now. And uh, Nicolas, just how big a moment was, was this for you yesterday? Yes, uh, it was unbelievable uh, for for the team, for the breeder, for the the owner. I have uh, this all the, since the yearning. And uh, yesterday it was a, a, a big moment, a big day. Uh, we work every day for, for winning a... Uh, a race like this and uh when you when you win it's uh it's amazing you are you you you, you it's difficult to realize and uh but boom, the job is done and uh it was a beautiful moment yeah just tell me a little bit about where 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 you where you train and 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 when you started yes I, i'm starting uh, chantilly uh 10 12 years ago and i train in chantilly uh, we booked a stable uh, five years ago, and uh, bon, I, I know Chantilly, I work in Chantilly uh, since uh, 30, 30 years, and I'm trained uh, since 12 years ago. It's, uh, it's my favorite place, it's a beautiful place. It, it was a, a whole load of firsts yesterday, your first Group 1 winner, um, the, sire, the Sire's first Group 1 winner, Anodin, the Dam Sire's first Group 1 winner as well, uh, King Salsa. Uh, you said you've had the horse since since a yearling. Tell me a bit about the the relationship between you and the and the owner and how it all how it's all worked. Uh, it's um it's a friend. I work with a owner, to, uh, find a owner and a breeder because it's the same. Um, since uh, five uh, eight years ago, I started with her and uh, Christian and Raymond. Um, but step by step, uh, we we have a chance to win uh, in Medan with Goldenwood, two twice, and uh, bon, a lot of a lot of horses uh, every year. And well, for the family, for the breeding, it's amazing because she have uh, uh, the mother and grandmother and uh, all the family. So you can you can imagine uh, um, the feeling today uh, when you, when you have a whole family. You 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 want a group one? Uh, no, it's amazing. Uh, it's a it's a friend now. Uh, I I live in um, for the um, August. I live with a uh, with a uh, Raymond and uh, Christian, the breeder. Don't you, you can imagine the, the yesterday. It was a beautiful moment. Uh, and Nicola, I I wasn't familiar with your with your other work as a as a singer as a rock star. Um, how big a part of of your life is that? You know my my. Uh, my uh, my feeling, you know, the, the, for, for me, the, the life is too short. Donc, I have need to to do a lot of things. And uh, I have a, a band. I have a band. I, I play mm. music with my band. Everybody say a rock star because I, I sometimes I do a concert on the racetrack. And uh, bon, yesterday, everybody said I'm a rock star. Nicolas Corrie, yes. 
à groupe One Winner et j'ai joué de la musique avec le band. Bon, c'est un spécial moment. Et votre band est appelé Electric Monday Yes, Electric Monday, and uh, uh, we started this uh, 10 years ago, and step by step, and now we go uh, everywhere uh, in France for just for the pleasure, because I don't do that for the money, just for the pleasure, and uh, we go sometime on the race track uh, everywhere, and now everybody knows Electric Monday. <laughs> and I hope uh, it's not the, the last group one. Now the, the door is open, and let's go. Keep going. <laughs> All right, what a lovely story that is. King Gold winning for Nicolas Collery and, and Stéphane Pasquier in the Arc Prix Maurice de Geest. I mean, St. Lawrence, I thought the third horse, Dave Yates, was, was very unlucky, but I, you couldn't help but be be charmed and delighted for the for the winning trainer. Absolutely right. Um, if uh, if you scour YouTube, you'll see uh, Nicola Coolery uh, singing on a stage with his long hair and his sunglasses. He could almost be mistaken for status quo's Francis Rossi, uh, one of Forest Hill's most famous sons, incidentally, although th that's where the similarity ends because he's performing a very different uh, genre of music. Uh, he's singing Bob Marley's uh, jamming. But if you've been... Uh, reared on a diet of uh, new market clones who say this horse is a big baby who could be anything and will let the dust settle before deciding where he goes next, then uh, Nicola Coolery is a very welcome departure uh, from that model. He seems um, something of a character, and obviously now his uh, career has a Group 1 victory to decorate it. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how he gets on, how King Gold gets on. An interesting thing with this, Nick, though, is that the pattern throughout this season of Ros Beef from Britain and also from Ireland, uh, flooding these Group 1 races in France and having their noses blooded by the locals. How many times has that happened uh, this year? In the case of the uh, pre-Maurice de Geest, uh, we had seven, Britain, I think it was it was Britain and Ireland, it was Britain, wasn't it, because uh, Little Big Bear didn't go. We had seven of the ten runners, and although we had the shorthead second, and as you said, uh, St. Lawrence, back in third, we didn't get the winner. And it, it's uh, it, it's a, a real um, testament to the the strength of the, the French training fraternity at, at the moment that they're getting flooded uh, with raiding parties for the uh, big races, but by and large, they're keeping them at home. Well, those of us who, who love horse racing always accept that there is an element of, of risk in the sport, but sometimes something happens that touches everyone incredibly deeply. And that was the case at Saratoga on, on Saturday uh, after the test stakes, which is a grade one race for three-year-old fillies over seven furlongs. Ultimately, the form book will tell you that the winner was pretty mischievous, the Kentucky Oaks winner trained by Brendan Walsh. Um, but she wouldn't have won had a fatal injury not been sustained by an unbeaten filly called Maple Leaf Mel, who was trained by uh, Melanie Giddings in the early stages of her career, named for her by the owner, um, and she stumbled and fell just yards from the line when she had the race in safekeeping. Um, Brendan Walsh, as I as I say, is the trainer of Pretty Mischievous, the the filly who was who was ultimately the the winner of the race. And um, Brendan joins me now. Brendan, this is not a way that anybody wants to to win a race, but 
the, the circumstances do seem to have left a very, very deep impact and deep impression on everybody at, at Saratoga. Just, just tell us exactly why. Yeah, well, it was, I, you know, it was just a, a terrible thing, Nick. You know, I mean, that, that girl, like, that, you know, people were starting to be drawn towards that filly anyway because she looked like she was so good. But, um, you know, they, uh, Melanie, the trainer, had um, stage four ovarian cancer a couple of years as well, and she beat it. So, you know, for all she went through and then for something like that to happen was just... Um, just unbelievable. I mean, it was it was horrible. Everybody just felt horrible for her. And it was just it was just the saddest saddest thing, you know. And and you went back to the to the barns after the race, didn't you? And then and then came back to the track. Just just talk me a, a little through through what what you you were feeling and 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 how you could sort of gauge the the atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, like you know, I was walking down when 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 the filly was going to the paddock and everything, and I was walking through the crowd down to Sandler, and there was a great buzz as there always is over here when you know on a big race day, you know, there's always the anticipation and everything, and and uh, you know, then it happened, and I went back to the test barn to check on my own filly, and when I was walking down later, it was like somebody just sucked the life out of the base, you know, it was just uh, I think a lot of people went home and and. You know, it was just everybody. Just even this morning at the around the barn area, it was just um, you know everybody was just low um, over the whole thing. You know, it was just a, it was kind of a unique situation. You know, hey, you and and your your rider Tyler Gaffleyon, you've spoken very movingly over the over the last day or so, and and you you did something this morning that has. Um, that has been incredibly warmly received. Just, just tell us what you and your your team did. Well, we, you know, a couple of people suggested that my assistant Charlie um, and and the Godolphin people suggested that maybe we take the um, the wreath that that normally goes over the horse after they win over to them. And I was like, absolutely, if 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 it would be a, a nice thing to do, and and. You know, they made a few inquiries and and um, we decided it was going to be an appropriate thing to do. So we we brought it over because really she was the rightful winner, Nick. You know, I mean, we, we, we won it by default, um, you know, and, and we just wish like that, that she, you know, the filly would have come home safe and, uh, and everything would have been OK. And we were beat fair and square. We were beat fair and square and that's it. But, um, you know, just everybody feels terrible for for their whole team and you know you know it's just so hard to have a horse like her so early in in her career you know it was a big deal for her and come back from what she's come back for I mean mean, you just we just felt terrible um, about it and um, you know we just thought that that might be a a nice gesture to make you know and so I mean people can see the pictures of it you you took the wreath over to where the box where she she would have stood where she had been standing Maple Leaf Mel and it, it hangs there in tribute to her. Uh, your filly has has run well. Obviously, she she would have finished a, a an honourable second. To what extent now, as you go forward through the year and um, and you you end up in, in all the places you want to end up, will you be thinking of her and really really sort of um, honouring the memory of of Maple Leaf Mel, almost being 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 part of her story and having her part of yours, if you like. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the thing, you know. You you know, hopefully it it carries through. It's always nice to remember stuff like that, um, you know. Um, but it's 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 just uh, hopefully my filly goes on and she does better things. You know, yesterday things got a little bit sharp for her early on, and she didn't travel as well as as we would have hoped. But she still ran a ran a very good race and. Um, you know, she's still a very, very good filly, but she was, you know, she was beaten by, by a, rightfully beaten by a, a very good filly. And, uh, you know, that was just the most unfortunate situation what happened. And, uh, you know, hopefully from here on, we'll, we'll, we'll think of her every time anyway, Nick, you know, and, um, and, and, and go from there. That was Brendan Wolf showing a great class in very, very difficult circumstances at Saratoga over the weekend. And our thoughts uh, with everybody affected by that uh, untimely fatal injury sustained by Maple Leaf Mel. The major race uh, at Saratoga aside from that was uh, the Whitney. It was Whitney weekend. Uh, White Barrio was the winner. You'll remember this is a horse that was formerly trained by Safi Joseph. And when he was, as we featured in the podcast, when he was effectively... Uh, suspended after the two fatalities at Churchill Downs. Um, he's now been reinstated, but when he was suspended, some of the horses had to go elsewhere, and White Barrio was one of them. His sort of stable star landed up with, with Rick Dutrow, who himself had come back from a multi-year suspension and has now got a marquee horse to, to take him forward. So all manner of stories there. Um, White Barrio was the impressive winner, and again, the, the major uh, talking point here was that Cody's wish... The horse who was the you know, the leading um, extended miler in the country and was trying a mile and a quarter en route, perhaps the Breeders' Cup Classic, he didn't fire. Now, whether it was the track, whether it was the distance, we're not sure, but he didn't fire after a tardy start. So rather back to the drawing board for him and, and White Barrio showing what he was capable of. Uh, amongst others who've had a good time of things at the Spa, well, as you'd expect, Chad Brown, his major owner, Seth Klam and Klarovich Stables, and horses purchased at the Tattersall sale. We've seen this formula working extremely well for Brown and and Klarman and Mike Ryan, who buys a lot of the horses. Just in the last week, there have been three stakes winners in the red and white colours, all purchased at different incarnations of the Tattersall's book one yearling sale. 19, 20 and 21, the horse's technical analysis, McCulloch and programme trading. And it seems perfect, therefore, to announce that today you'll be able to pick up your copy of a book one catalogue for 2023. And I'm guessing, as I welcome in Tattersall's Jason Singh, that two men who will be there are Mike Ryan and Chad Brown. You'd think so after that, wouldn't you, Jason? Yeah, morning, Nick. Um, well, I hope, certainly hope so. Certainly that's the indication at the moment. Um, and and why, why wouldn't they, given um, the extraordinary success that they've had um, over the last few years and you know, over the last few days specifically. I mean, fantastic to have program trading um, pop up with uh, with a win. He was he was bought for two hundred fifty thousand guineas at book one of the October yearling sale two years ago, and uh, yeah, very very timely, um, especially with book one of the October yearling sale going online today. Um, it'll be out in print in a week's time, and that cult actually has a half sister catalogue by Pinatubo. Um, coming from uh, uh, Sarah and Luca Kamani's Fittick Stud. And looking at the, the these three horses who won stakes races for them in the last week, programme trading, Saratoga Derby, uh, Grade 1, but McCulix, he's a, a smashing horse by Frankel, and, and Technical Analysis, who 
coming back off a off a fair absence, uh, winning the the Delarue Stakes race. Uh, they all cost money, 180, 200, and, and, and 250. But by book one standards, they were by no means exorbitant. No, look, they're they're they're, they're not um, they're not coming and spending silly amounts of money on 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 the yearlings here, and they're they're having great success. So um, it's a formula that's working for them. I mean, I think people, you know, if you're if you're buying a horse that can go to the US and 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 be competitive and win at sort of grade one or two level, um, then you know that that's not a lot of money to be spending. And uh, you know Chad and, and and Mike Brown and you know Seth Klarman, they've all they've all identified that uh, you know Book One's the place to come and buy a you know top class turf pedigree. And uh, yeah, they've done they've had you know well deserved success out of that. And there are stallions that that are seeming to work extremely well transatlantically as well. I mean, Lope de Vegas had a lot of success in America, and and Kingman Kingman likewise. Doubtless they'll figure amongst. Uh, size prominent in in this year's catalogue. You look at the catalogue in the round. You know the expectation of it is high, Jason, isn't it? I mean, it, it is expected to be very good. When you look at it, what stands out to you this year? What are the key features? Do you think? Um, there's 532 lots catalogued, which is just slightly down on last year. Um, I mean, the the headline stallions are the are the thing that, that that catch the eye. You know, 22 yearlings by Frankel, um, 19 by Dubawi. Um, Lope de Vega, who you mentioned, um, who's had such great success, you know, everywhere really, um, has 38 yearlings um, in the catalogue, and um, you know, Kingman of Kingman's got 29. So it's um, yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things that just flicking through the pages lot by lot is is mouth watering. So um, it's always an exciting time of year to get the the, the catalogue out for this this sale, and um, I'm sure everybody will be excited by it. My thanks to Jason and all my guests today. Uh, David Yates is still with me uh, from the Daily Mirror. And David, have you got something to kick off a new week? We go to Windsor and the six o'clock race, number one, Penguin Island. This is a daughter of the Gurkha, off the mark at the 12th time of asking at Chepstow last time. That was on good ground, but Penguin Island has form on soft. So hopefully this evening's heavy playing surface will not be a problem. I was chided by Mac Chapman in the Goodwood Press Room on Saturday for giving a short price loser on last week's NLD. Hopefully this is a five to two winner. It's the six o'clock race at Windsor and the selection is number one, Penguin Island. All right, that was Monday, August the 7th. We'll be back to do it over again tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and thoroughbred racing commentary. Thank you.